Now, guys, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. And, you know, if, if you are people who um, uh, are willing to write in your Bibles, then one of the things that you ought to write is just a little bracket around this paragraph, beginning in verse 9 that ends in verse 13. And, and just label it um, Paul's Theology of the Church. It's, um, it's really a quite, it's amazing how comprehensive if you if you wanted to if you wanted a church that was really a, a healthy spirit filled church, man, it would look like this. This is what this is Paul's description. And then later on, beginning in verse fourteen, he's going to talk about some some personal attributes or individual attributes. But these are things that that should characterize a church. And guys, um, if you find that some of these injunctions are rather odd or, or even difficult. Um, um, they are, uh, you know, I, I really should speed up here. I've only got five weeks left with you until the summer break. And, and I've got, gosh, I've got seven verses to go before we, but, but I, I need to say a couple of things just by way of introducing verse 13. Guys, um, these injunctions that are con- contained in verses nine through, um, they're not just vague injunctions about everybody be nice to each other. You know, like we tell our kids, you know, when they come home from school, we say, uh, you know, were you nice to everybody today? Um, th- that's not what this is about. In fact, when I say injunctions, that's probably the wrong word. In the Greek language, you can tell whether something is in the imperative or not. You know what an imperative is? An, an imperative is a command. These are not imperatives, interestingly enough. They're, they're participles. Um, and, and they have the force of the imperative. And, and to explain, when Paul is describing for the church, he, he really says stuff like this. Um, outdoing one another in, in honor and showing honor. Um, uh, rejoicing in hope. Um, contributing to the needs of the saints. They're all participles. But they're participles in a context of Paul describing the church. So whereas they're not found in the imperative mood, they are indeed, they have the force of a command. They have the force of an imperative because they are, they are, uh, Paul's descriptions of, of what the church looks like. Verse, uh, 13 really, really should be translated something like this. Contributing to the needs of the saint, saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, that's what a, a participle is. Contributing. That's a participle. Uh, but in, it, it has the force of a command. And if, that's, if this all seems all so difficult to you, well, guys, understand that it is difficult if you have divorced them from verses 1 and 2. I've said this a couple of times, but, you know, we spent, I don't know how many weeks we spent on verses 1 and 2, and the reason that we spent so much time is that any any imperative has to grow out of the indicative which I've said a dozen times in here. you got to get that, guys. Any Christian ethic, my, my obedience grows out of who I am. My obedience doesn't make me who I am. It's because of who I am out of which my obedience grows. The, the, the chapter opens up, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That is, all of these things that God has accomplished in our souls... All of these things that are true of us because of sovereign grace. Drawing out of those things. Then, this is what we want to be. 
But if you divorce all of these injunctions, all of these um, de facto imperatives, if you divorce them from these, this statement of identity in verses 1 and 2, you end up with nothing but moralism. Do you see that? Do you get that? Guys, here, here it's said simply, but I've said this a dozen times. Imperatives grow out of initi- uh, indicatives. Statements of who I am and what I am because of what God has accomplished. Out of that comes the imperatives. Never reverse those two because you end up with just moralism. A religious moralism. These injunctions of verses 9 through 13 are the outcome of verses 1 and 2. And that's why we spent so much time looking at verses 1 and 2 when we started this chapter back in the fall. Um, Verses 1 and 2 are the key to all Christian conduct. You get that, guys. You've got to go back and discover who, what God has done in you. And then out of who I am, drawing out of the resources of what he's made me. Um, my, my conduct flows. Verses one and two are the, are the key to all Christian behavior. Okay? Now, having said that, we go back to the injunctions themselves. And again, let me say, in the Greek, they are not imperatives, but they have the force of the imperatives because of what Paul is up to. He's describing the church. This is the way the church ought to be. She ought to be. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What you have being discussed here in this verse are two things, generosity and hospitality. Now, guys, again, I say it's it's amazing how comprehensive these, this little paragraph is because everything that the church should be is kind of crammed in there, and you would expect him to, to, to make some kind of statement about this whole idea of generosity. So let's look at it, guys. Um, uh, guys, the the word that is translated uh, contributing is a word that you know. It's the word... It's the word... There it is. Um, koinonia. Um Guys, this is a whole group of Greek words. The word koinos means common. And the word koinonia, you've heard of koinonia groups. You know, there's a koinonia church out on the corner. And koinonia has to do with commonality. Uh, it's translated fellowship so often, but it has to do with commonality. And the word that is, I don't know what your translation's got. Mine has contribute. Yours might have share. But it, it comes from this Greek word, koinoneo, actually. It's, it, that's, the, that's the noun form. The, the, the verb form is koinoneo, sharing, commonality, a commonality among us. There is to be a commonality in the, amongst the people of God. Now, guys, meeting the needs of God's people. That's what this is. A church that is on that is pleasing to God, is one who contributes to the needs of God's people. By the way, that word saints there is a word, it doesn't refer to Saint Benedict or Saint Thomas. 
it were, a saint is someone who is set apart. It's simply a, a, another uh, synonym for Christian. That is, a church that is worth being a part of is a church that is meeting the needs, not the wants, but meeting the needs of God's people. Um, we're not interested to make sure that they all have granite countertops. But we are interested to make sure that needs, needs of God's people are met. Now, guys, um, this is going to take me down a path, and I hope, I hope, um, I hope it is helpful for you. Uh, this is just some advice. You can take it or leave it. But I think, I think it has some, um, spiritual animus inside it. So stay with me. Guys, do you get the phone calls at your home um, uh, asking for money for the Police Benevolent Association? Do you get the, do you get the, um, the phone calls asking for contributions of whatever kind um, to the uh, uh, handicapped um, Vietnam veterans? Um, do you do you pass by people ringing bells at Christmas time around a little pot? Well, again, here's my advice: you can take it or leave it. I give to none of those things, none, zero. I don't give a quarter. I don't give a dollar. I, I will say, if they call me, I'm very gracious. My wife will tell you that she always wants me to handle these phone calls. Um, you know, and she sees them on the little ID thing. She says, here, you do it again. So um, I always say something about, I say something like this. I say, it's very kind for of you to call, but all of my benevolent dollars go to God's people. That is, I give them to my church because, number one, I think that I can um, use them to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say this over the phone every time. You can ask my wife. Uh, I think that we can... Um, uh, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can meet the needs of God's people. Now, if you like something really carnal and ugly, they won't call you back after you say that very often, uh, but if that's your goal. They, they always are very respectful and say, well, thank you, we understand, goodbye. I mean, it's not, uh, but guys, I don't say that because I'm trying to get out of something. I say it convictionally. I do not give to the Police Benevolent Society or other good causes like that. I'm not saying anything about how that the causes are bad, but I want my benevolent giving to go to God's people. Like this text says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Do you see that? Guys, I, it amazes me that, very frankly, here, here's my advice for you. Would you do like I do? And here's the reason why. Here, let me give you two reasons. Giving like that is safer and it's healthier. Let me explain those two words. I'm telling you guys, it's safer and it's healthier for your souls. Let me let me explain my, my safer. It's safer because um, the motives... For me, giving money at the pot with the bell ringing at Christmas time are really kind of whacked up. 
you know, I'm, I'm pushing my groceries um, out um, uh, in the cart and there is um, Margaret, my neighbor. And I'm passing the bell ringer and I certainly wouldn't want her to think that I'm, um, um, you know, some kind of miserly old soul. And so I throw some dollars in there. You know, ladies and gentlemen, all those mixed motives for doing that kind of thing is just, it's just misguided. And your monies can be used more intelligently, more safely, if they are given in, in, in a world where the decisions that are made to spend them are, are going to get examined, uh, investigated, um, researched, and um, hopefully somebody is going to offer prayer to God as to how they're used. I'm telling you, in terms of how your money affects the overall kingdom, it's safer given it instead of having some kind of emotional appeal make me do something that is from all kinds of bad motives. Okay, That's why I say it's safer. Let me tell you why it's healthier. It's healthier. It's healthier for your soul. It's healthier because none of you need to hear another thank you, Mr. Jones, for your contributions to our agency. None of us need to be big shots anymore, ladies and gentlemen. We're big shots enough. We're already big shots, and they already call you Mr. So-and-so when you walk in the office. So you don't need another opportunity for somebody to applaud you. You don't need that. It's not good for your souls. You don't need another plaque. You don't need another thank you from the president of the agency. We can never do it without your contribution. It's not good for you. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't create, it doesn't promote meekness. It doesn't promote humility. It promotes big shots. We don't need to be big shots anymore. Hide, ladies and gentlemen. Hide. For the, the last thing you need is to draw more attention to, to you. I'm telling you, it's just advice for you, ladies and gentlemen. You can take it or leave it. But it is spawned by an exhortation on the part of the Apostle Paul saying that my generosity needs to have as its goal the meeting of the needs of the saints of the saints. Now we're gonna we're gonna get a little complicated here in a second, but Paul's not talking about everybody, um, at least here. Um, he's talking about the family. You know, you've heard that saying about um, blood is thicker than water. Well, guys, the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. That is, um, because we are we are in a we are in a family that was we were brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's those needs that have to be forefront in my thinking and in my giving. And, I, and I, I recommend to you that it's safer and it's healthier to contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, having said that, there is some complicating 
other passages, which I would be less than honest if I didn't show you. Let me just show you one, if you can find Galatians chapter 6. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, generosity is not optional. Charity is not optional. We, we tend to think of it that way. That is, you know, uh, if I want to be, uh, you know, I'm just not a charitable person. Charity is not an option. It's a requirement for God's people. Generosity is a, a requirement for God's people, ladies and gentlemen. If you are here as the object of God's saving grace, you have tasted something that has come your way by a generous God. To be less than generous back is is to devalue what you've gotten in terms of of his generosity towards sinners. But here's the text I wanted you to see. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now, you'll notice that the Apostle Paul does put in there, particularly meet the needs of God's people. It's on that But he also says, let us do good to everyone. Now, guys, that's, that's the part that's tricky. There's, there's, uh, it's also a part of the whole reason that I say it's safer to meet the needs of the saints. Guys, um, is Clay Johnson here or did he have to go to, are you here back there, Clay? Um, uh, guys, do you know how tricky it is to meet the needs of people that are not a part of this body? Do you know that there is such a thing as a professional beggar? Do you know that there are, that there are, that uh, Brent maintains a an email contact with churches all over this city because we get we get approached by people who will come here um, um, asking for money who just left Germantown Baptist uh, and and right before they went to Germantown Baptist they went to River Oaks Presbyterian. Um, Ed, do you remember the day, the Sunday afternoon that you and I got uh, uh, called out of a session meeting? On a Sunday afternoon, we were in a session meeting. We got called out of a session meeting because um, there was a woman outside who couldn't get out of her car to come inside because she needed certain things. And fortunately, Ed was there and he knew medical stuff and, and, and um, uh, she was having all these medical things. And Ed said, no, no, that's not true. You can get that here. You can get that there. But anyway, we gave her some money. The ne- very next day, Brent finds out that she had hit... I don't know, another dozen churches the same day. Um, guys, I'm not saying we don't do it. I'm just saying it's more complex. It's trickier. May I say to you this? That dampens the, the real goal that we should have. Guys, um, can I show you one other passage? If you can find Luke chapter 4 real quick. This is the thing that's got to that's got to prompt us. Um, if you were Jesus Christ and you were going to preach your first sermon, where, what, what would you say? Um, where would you get your text? Jesus got his first text out of out of Isaiah sixty one, 
And here's this text. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. We won't read the whole thing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have no interest in the poor, then I want you to know you are cross-purposes with Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on to talk about the captives and the, uh, setting the captives free and uh, the blind. But Jesus has an affinity for the poor. And so must we. The, 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 the problem is it's just more complex. It's more difficult to find, um, you know, we got criticized for this just, just really, I mean, I think somebody ultimately left the church over this, that back when the tsunami hit and they didn't feel like we, um, we moved fast enough to send money when the tsunami hit in Indonesia. And do you know what we were doing while this delay was taking place? We were trying to find somebody who would take our money and would represent Jesus Christ over there in that Muslim country. <laughs> I mean, the Muslims would have taken our money, but we were trying to find somebody who would at least go and say, this comes from Christians, or would say something about this God that we love. So it, it took us a little bit longer to find somebody, and we got sound. It's more complex. It's not, it's not always as easy, but guys, we are so, supposed to be people known for our generosity, known for our commitment, our commitment to the poor. And we're committed to the poor because Jesus is committed to the poor. I'm not talking about throwing dollars at some poor. I'm talking about commitment to the poor. We're supposed to be generous people, first to the saints and then to all else, um, primarily the poor. Now, again, what we what we find is making sure that we're dealing with the real poor. I mean, not really poor, but the actual poor is is the challenge before us. That's what that's what's trickier. But guys, um, a, a church worth going to is a church that's contributing to the needs of the saints. I'll say this, I don't know that I want to be a part of any other kind of church. I mean, a church that is not contributing to the needs of the saints. I don't know that I want to be a part of something like that. I, I don't think you do either. Um, um, I, I, I can't, I'm tempted to tell you a quick story, but I, so many of the details I'd have to leave out. But I, I can just tell you this. We had a session meeting this past Saturday, this past Sunday, and um, a certain need arose. And I'm telling you, the men that you've elected to be elders of this church, it was in a matter of seconds. It was addressed, met, and, and um, out the door, which was which was really fun to be a part of. We got to move on. I got I got eight minutes, but because the, the other past the other part of this text says, and uh, seeking to show hospitality. Now, guys, um, that seek to show uh, it's an it's an it's it's the word, uh, oh, excuse me, dioko. Di, di, um, 
it's it's not the normal Greek word that's translated to show. It really is a word that uh, describes pursuit. And that's why you get the translators sticking those words seek to show. Um, it's that that is we're not supposed to we're not simply to be hospitable. We're supposed to be pursuing opportunities to be hospitable. Hospitality is not hosting the Super Bowl party. That's not what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen. I, I've, sh- I've shown you this word before. Um, um, that that's not real written. Um, Philozenia. It's the, it's a combination of two words: love of strangers. Hospitality. Uh, hospitality is one of those words that has gotten weakened to the point that it means pretty much nothing. You know, I had somebody tell me how to, he was going to define fellowship, and he defined fellowship as a bunch of fellows in the same ship. That was his definition of fellowship. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's this word, and it's the word commonality. It doesn't mean a bunch of fellows in the same ship. Fellowship has been emasculated. It doesn't have any meaning in it anymore. And neither does hospitality. It's not opening your home for the, the, the Super Bowl party. It's, it's finding the estranged. It's finding the marginalized. It's finding, it's, it's finding the outcast and bringing them into something safe. And that is not something that we simply do. It's something that we pursue. That's why I drew this word up here for you. It's not just show it. It's seek it. Seeking to find the marginalized. Seeking to find the disenfranchised. Finding the strangers. And bringing them in. Bringing them in. That's hospitality, guys. It's a, it's a love. It's a love of strangers. And the Bible gives you several reasons. Before I get to those reasons, um, you do know, don't you, that in, in Titus chapter 1 and in 1 Timothy 3, Paul makes hospitality a qualification for an elder. Again, not somebody that opens their home for the Christmas tea. It's, it's, it's finding the, the ones on the margins. The, the ones that are not, um, quickly assimilated. And, and, um, and pulling them into the center of things. Um, it's a, it's a mark of, it's, it's a qualification for an elder. First Peter 4 talks about doing it without grumbling. Um, and there, there, you don't need to turn here, but there's just a, Paul makes mention, I think, of something that at least resembles um, hospitality when in 2 Timothy um, 1, he, he talks about, um, let's see, Onesiphorus. He said, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Got any prisoners in your house lately? I mean, at this point, Onesiphorus didn't know that the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, he's in change. He's a Roman prisoner. 
And so uh, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He was not ashamed that I, I didn't um, drive over here and what everybody else drove over here in. He, uh, he refreshed the marginalized. And then one other thing, and I'll quit. This is an, if you've never seen this, guys, you, you probably ought to see it. Um, because it tells you, a, um, it tells you a couple of things. If you can find Hebrews chapter 13 real quick. It's just something that, that relates to the whole issue of hospitality. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews, we don't know who that is. Uh, some would say it's Apostle Paul. It doesn't look like the Apostle Paul because his Greek is very different from, say, the Greek that you find in Romans. Some would say that it's Apollos. Um, that's my favorite guess, but that's all it is. It's just a guess. Who wrote? But it had to be somebody who was a Jew, uh, not like a Luke who was a Gentile. It had to be somebody who, who knew Judaism because that's what uh, Hebrews is all about. He's trying to demonstrate the... the, the um, the trueness of the claim of the Messiah by showing how he met all these uh, Jewish types. But anyway, whoever this author is, he says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. He says, um, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby, some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I know you've heard that, but that is that is a really interesting... That is, ladies and gentlemen, what he's describing is an event where somebody showed up. You didn't necessarily know who they were, and you just had a nice little cup of coffee with them and enjoyed their their, their rich conversation and your fellowship around Jesus, and they left and you never saw them again, and they were an angel. Do you believe that? Do you believe that happens? I mean, guys, this is not Aesop's fables. Angels show up at times when they're just... Mysterious in their arrival and mysterious in their departure. And, um, you know, um, y'all have never met um, Amir Murabi. Unfortunately, Amir's moving. Um, he is a periodontist, I think. Um, goes to this church, but he's about to move to his wife's home in Little Rock. And But um, he is an Iranian an Iranian. And we don't like those people. You know? They're building a nuclear bomb. Um, and I, I mean, I don't like that either. But, um, but when he was a child, and I'm, well, no, he was, he was a, he was a teenager. He was like 17. His father saw what was happening in his country and had to get him out of the country. And, um, invested like $20,000 that they didn't have to get their son to the West. And if you could hear the tale of getting that man out, I mean, on horseback through the mountains, through, you know, and, and uh, for three days and not having anything to eat for three days and finally getting into Turkey and, and he doesn't have a passport and, and they're not going to let, they're going to turn it, send him back to Iran. And, um, um, and part of the story is, um, he is seated at a little coffee. There were some friends of his, Iran was willing to let women and old people out. They just didn't want the young men to leave because they could serve in the war and go get killed with Iraq. Um, they, so that's why his father saw what they were about to do to his son and he wanted him out of there. So um, so some Iranian girls that he knew were in um, Turkey, one of those cities, Ankara. 
was in Ankara. Um, and so they, they were trying to steer him to, out of the country, get him to Germany. He had connections in Germany, and hopefully he could get from Germany to the United States, which is ultimately what happened. But, but um, they go to the, um, um, the embassy to get some kind of document so they can get on a plane and get out of Turkey. And the people said, you can't do it. You don't have a passport. I, we don't know where you came from. We, don't, you know, we, can't, we, we can't help you. So they leave there, and they go to this little outdoor coffee shop, and they're sitting in an outdoor coffee shop. There's two girls and him. And, and a man walks up and says, I overheard your conversation. There's another way for you to go if you will try yada, yada, yada. And I forget what it was. It's something. Maybe it was a student visa or something. Um, um, and it costs $9 or something like that, $16 or something, and um uh, they, they will, they will let you if you go that route. And he said, I never saw that man again. This overheard his conversation, told him about this route. They said, thank you. He left and they went to the place. Sure enough, the guy had told him the truth. They got the document, flew to Germany, spent 18 months in a refugee camp in Germany, and then ultimately got to the United States. Who do you think he was? I don't know. I'll tell you who Amir thinks he is. <laughs> he had a visitor. I'm guys um, choosing to love the marginalized, choosing to love the disenfranchised, those on the periphery, and drawing them in. According to this text, seems to suggest that. On occasion, you'll be entertaining an angel. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Let's quit. Lord, I do pray that you will um, make us something similar to this description that Paul has left behind. Um, Something where the marginalized do feel safe here and included, um, wanted, And that you'll also make us um, a place where legitimate needs get met. And that the poor are, um, are not simply acknowledged, but are sought after. Uh, That we could uh, share in the great heart of Jesus Christ who came to proclaim the kingdom to the poor. Might we find ourselves richly engaged in the same project which brought Jesus to this planet. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.